0: And while I'm talking about courage, um, I think a lot of people think like capital C courage, we, we conjure images of firefighters and you know really heroic deeds, people jumping in front of bullets, and all those are really great examples of courage, but they're not comprehensive. There's these little C moments of courage that happen every day through email conversations, through conversations with your clients, with your partners, with your teammates, that taken cumulatively create a courageous life. And so I think, A lot of people ask me, like, how do we develop more courage? And I'll say, look at those micro moments in your day and choose the option that requires a little bit more vulnerability. Choose the options that may not work out. Um, Choose the option that increase uncertainty rather than decrease uncertainty. Choose the options where, you know, the comfort would dictate one way of going. Growth would dictate another. Choose the option for growth.
1: If you've ever stared at an empty email trying to figure out the exact right thing to say, if you've ever avoided a networking event because you weren't sure how everyone else was going to be dressed or whether you'd feel like you actually belonged there, if you've ever hesitated to share your thoughts in a comment or conversation because you didn't know how you'd be received, well, you and I, we've got a lot in common. Now, maybe your list isn't the same as mine. Maybe there are other variables or scenarios that send your mind swirling. Regardless, life is full of those moments when we procrastinate, avoid, and hesitate because we're not exactly sure what's going to come next. Business is full of those moments too. You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations about what's really working to grow and run a small business today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Now today, I invited my dear friend, Charlie Gilkey, back on the show to talk about the subject of his new book, Start Finishing, How to Go from Idea to Done. It's perfect for this month we're spending on resilience. You see, Start Finishing, well, it sounds like a book on productivity, and it is, but it's the kind of productivity book that only a philosopher could write. And this is the kind of interview on productivity, decision-making, planning, and doing your best work that only a philosopher could give. Now, if you don't know Charlie already, let me give you a bit of background. Charlie is a PhD candidate in philosophy at the University of Nebraska. He was a logistics officer in the Army National Guard and was deployed in Iraq. He's now the co-founder and CEO of Productive Flourishing, which helps people build better businesses through strategic planning, systems development, self-mastery, and personal effectiveness. I wanted to find out What resilience has to do with the way we do or do not complete the projects that we start and the goals we half-heartedly commit to? My conversation with Charlie certainly provided some answers to that question, and it provided a whole lot more. Now, one of my biggest takeaways from talking to Charlie was the divide between certainty and uncertainty and how our quest for certainty keeps us stuck. Now I've been paying much closer attention to the moments when I can make a choice where the outcome is uncertain, but the upside is big. It's helped me lean into vulnerability, find my true commitments and achieve some pretty amazing results in a very short period of time. Charlie and I also talk about the tension between mastery and growth, why we love structure but still crave novelty, how we let conflicting patterns mess with our ability to create results, and why achieving success isn't just a matter of intelligence or information. I am so excited for you to listen to this conversation. Now, let's find out what works for Charlie Gilkey. Charlie Gilkey, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: I am so pumped to be here. I'm always um, really grateful to be on What Works and just really thankful. So thank you.
1: Well, and I am thankful for your brand new book, Start Finishing. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about how we can build the resilience we need to start finishing more of the things that we start. Um, I think like so many small business owners, I am a self-starter and I am not always a self-finisher. And so I felt, uh, I feel a little seen, a little called out by this book and I'm looking to feel more seen and more called out by this podcast interview. Um, But I wanted to start off with actually calling you out or letting you call yourself out. Can you tell us about a time when finishing a project or a plan kind of required all of the resilience, all of the work uh, that you could possibly muster?
0: I hope this is not cheeky, but it's currently okay. <laughs> this book launch. Um, and so this is not a past thing this is going through right now. And um, if you've never traditionally published a book, um, one thing you got to understand is it's at least a three-year process most of the time, especially if you're still in your freshman, sophomore sort of stage of that, because you're still building up the platform. And I really adopt... Um, my, my book strategist, um, Todd Satterston, Todd Satterston has, um, a line in a book called every book is a startup. And every time you go through this process, you're building up essentially a new business, new channels, all the things you would do to start a business. And so um from conception of this um, project which happened way back in 2017 so we're, we're recording this in 2019 right 2017 that's when all the proposal happening happens and then you know six months later you get a book deal and then you write the book and then the book goes to the editing process and then you go through the launch build up it is a long process and um being in transition meaning You know, I have a business that is one growing a product arm pretty rapidly, um, but I still do Mm -hmm. a lot of service work. I do facilitation, I do strategy, execution, consultation. So I've got this existing mature business that has its own care and feeding. And it, you know, before the book, it was full time. (laughs) So where does the book go on top of that? (laughs) Right. Right. And so it's either more hours or more emotional resilience as you get out of things. you know, as you sort of work through that. So really the book, this book launch has made me practice everything the book is about and more, um, to get through it. And, um, I'm still a month before, (laughs) before pub date, and I've still got at least another, um, what I tell people about this is if I'm lucky, I'll be in this mode for the next year. Yeah. Right. If I'm unlucky, then it's like, you know, it kind of passes and then new year, new project move on. But if I'm lucky, Again, I still got a lot of time under me to be having wonderful conversations like this. And I love the conversations. And it's one of those things where I'm sure many of the folks in your audience have it, like too much ice cream is a bad thing Mm -hmm. in the sense of I love so many of the things that I do and it could be too much and therefore be a bad thing. And so, um, you know, another year of balancing the mature part of productive flourishing the product arm that is scaling up productive flourishing now this book project and the launch mode that it's going to do there and also working out losing weight focusing on my health you know um apparently it's normal for me to run things on hard mode even if i try to make them on you know easy (laughs) beginner mode
1: yes i understand
0: yeah (laughs) You're familiar with that, eh, Tara?
1: I am familiar with that, that <laughs> yeah. challenge. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so I have a follow-up question to this because you mentioned that you are requiring emotional resilience in kind of stepping away from parts of the mature business that is productive mm-hmm. flourishing. And you also talked about resilience in terms of the long-termness of this book project, the the two-plus years you've already put into it, plus hopefully the next year plus to come. For you personally, which one has been more challenging? Do you feel more challenged kind of stepping away in the resilience piece there? Or do you feel more challenged seeing out this long of a project?
0: Um, it's not this long of a project. So I would put the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, um, it's kind of like one of those things where you build up certain workflows and practices and habits that get you to a point and once you reach that scale point, those no longer work. So you have to rebuild on the fly again. And that sounds very general, but it's as simple as Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday have sto- have historically been sort of writing, deep, r- deep writing days for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, with the book project, that gets forked between the writing that needs to go for the book versus the writing that needs to go to support the business versus everything else that goes. And so it's not like I got a new project and automatically got more time to do the project. Right. And so just being able, just like sitting down and being like, okay, this is the day's project. This is how it's going. And um, the resilience of dealing with the frustrations, the setbacks of like not being in that mastery zone Mm -hmm. um, has been difficult. And what I'll say is when you go work on a project like this, you go through different phases And as soon as you transmit the book and you go through that editing stage, you go into a stage where you're doing a lot of alliance building, reaching out to folks saying, hey, you want to do this. And I am not a fan of spending two and a half, three hours a day on email. Yeah, Not my jam, except that's your job during that phase, right? Hordes and hordes of emails. So think about it this way, y'all. Let's assume that we quantize an email exchange such that we understand that each one is normally going to take about 30 minutes to do right. Um, By the time you send the email, even if you do the template Mm -hmm. thing, still 30 minutes of the back and forth and you have 125 people to reach out to that's 60 hours of just that, that type of exchange that you got to schedule somewhere on top of the writing on top of everything else. And so just the, okay, there's this part of the job. It's part of the best work that I'm doing. It's the, you know, part that I don't love and I uniquely can do it. It's gotta be done. How am I gonna get to stuff this into this bag? What am I gonna let go of? What am I going, what frustrations can I tolerate? And what can I not tolerate? Um, And so it's a lot of back and forth like that as you go through these transitions. And oh, also I need to be thinking about the product scaling upside Mm -hmm. of the business. And then I have clients. So it's a lot of that mental shift, that mental Um, mental and context shifting that can, for me personally, creates friction, creates frustration, creates that sense of like, "Ah, I'm not, I'm not achieving at the level that I can, that ends up, um, being a lot more meditation and workout time for me as I work off (laughs) the cost of that.
1: Yes. That also sounds very familiar. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk more about the relationship between mastery and resilience and finishing what we start? Because you use that mastery word, and it's a that is probably one of my number one values in terms of like, I always want to be in my place of mastery. Mastering things is very important to me. Um, I am fascinated by other people's mastery of other things. Like that is a, a really juicy concept to me. Um, and as you started talking about like, well, you know, I do feel more resistance. I feel more frustration. The more I'm out of that place of resilience, like that was a light bulb moment for me. I stop finishing things when I start getting out of my zone of mastery. Can you talk more about how you work through that or maybe how you work your clients through that frustration and resistance that happens in the middle there?
0: Yeah, so much of our life, well, I'll say is just Qua being human, Qua being sort of the spiritual creative beings that we are, but also business owners is learning to sit in some tensions that we would love to resolve. Yes. Right. Um, But the reality is just that there are these tensions that are going to be present when you're really open to them. And so there's always a tension between mastery and growth in a way, because for you to really reach your true potential, you have to push out of a mastery zone. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you push out of your mastery zone, it's really uncomfortable right? Um, Because it's only when you push outside of that mastery zone where you can fail at a new higher level and then figure out how you're going to achieve at that higher level. But if you're only choosing targets that you know you can already hit, if you're only doing the things where you have a 90, 95% probability of success, you're really not growing and you're not mastering the true game of life, as it were. You might be mastering a particular skill a particular way of setting goals that you can automatically achieve. But again, that's not the biggest game that you play. So you're simultaneously um, having to send in the attention of proactively breaking things. Mm hmm. And proactively get better at the things that you already know how to do. <laughs> and that can lead to that tension. And so we can think of mastery in multiple levels. We can think of domain mastery. You're the master of your craft. You're the master of that particular thing. Uh, you know, your industry. So if it's content marketing, it could be that. You could be the mastery, a master in coaching, master in business strategy, whatever that is. You can be a master at that. But you can also have your own sort of self-mastery of your schedule, of how your habits, routines, um, you know, deliver a certain outcome that you want. You can have physical mastery, so you can look at mastery in these different ways. And what I realized is that this has broke so much of my process mastery. Um, it's broken so many of my boundaries. It's broken so many of my um my ways of um. So I've I've been blessed to have a good memory. People often confuse intelligence and memory i have a good memory some people think i'm smarter than i am um but this has been pushing enough projects that it's exceeded the capability of my memory to keep up with things so i've had to build new systems so that that keep up with the commitments that i've made that i normally would not have to keep up with otherwise i'm dropping balls and um i hate 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 starting an email with sorry for the late Mm -hmm. reply or i'm running behind i hate those emails right? I've had to send a lot of those emails, which has made me practice a lot of humility um, and a lot of sort of vulnerability when your thing, that, that's the important point, right? When your book is about getting things done, yeah. essentially, um, and getting, getting the right stuff done, and your brand is that as well, it's like doubly bad to start with like, hey, sorry, I'm running too late behind on this, right? Um, because if I were just, you know, another quote unquote, create a flake, it would be one thing like that's normal, right? Um, And so it's it's created so many different levels where I've had to say, you know what, right now is a really disruptive stage of my life. I am not going to have my process mastery. I'm not going to be as flowful. Um, I'm not going to wake up today with the same sense of groove and purpose and mastery or purpose is higher, but groove and mastery may be lower. And that's the phase that I'm in right now. And if I do it long enough, I'll get good at it too, right? So I put in the time, I'll figure this out, um, and then I can move on. And when I'm not doing this, then I'll have the frustration of like, wow, all of my engines are set up to do this. And it could be really, really nitty gritty. And like when I was drafting the book, I realized that the core dimension of productivity during that phase was good words on screen. Right. How many good words on screen at what like, that's how I had to optimize my mm-hmm. workflows, my schedules, everything like that, because I had a book that I needed to finish and, and everything else that I've already mentioned. As I transitioned out of that, it was not words on screen. It was yeah. email sent per week. Right. And so it's kind of like rebuilding. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a Marvel junkie. So it's one of those things where it's like rebuilding the Iron Man suit. For each different aspect of this project or each aspect of the business, understanding that suit one does Mm -hmm. not fit context two, you got to rebuild that, um, but you're rebuilding it as you're flying it (laughs) and it's got going to fit and it's not going to work the way. And just about the time that you've got that suit optimized, you're doing something new. So you're back into it all over again.
1: Yeah. I, the, the metaphor that I'm thinking of is uh, Star Trek Next Generation and the Borg and the way they could design new weapons, but then the Borg would eventually adapt.
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> um, two nerds on a podcast. Absolutely. We're going to come up with sci-fi or comic book references. Yes. But yeah, absolutely. That's what we're talking about. And so, um, again, the tensions that we feel as humans is on the one hand, we love the comfort of structure. And sort of normalcy and, and sort of yesterday or today looking in some ways like yesterday. There's a security in those structures and systems. At the same time, we quest for freedom and novelty and change. And both are true at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, and, and the reason I want to keep coming up to these tensions is because I think we make choices trying to make them go away when the fact of matter is, is they're usually present at the same time and so it's how do i sit in these tensions and how do i go forward um and not waste times trying to change the fundamental nature of my my lived experience um because you know we might like for we might like it to be the case that gravity does not exist but it does and um trying to pretend as if it doesn't and operating as if it doesn't just leads to disaster. And so we do the same thing in our lives, when we try to resolve or try to dissolve some of these tensions.
1: Yeah. I would love to get an example or two of that kind of tension that you're talking about and specifically the choices that we make to try and get out of that tension. Do you have an example from your own life or business or from a client's life or business that you can kind of give us like a brief, almost like a brief case study on?
0: Yeah. So, um, several patterns that come up fairly universally. One would be, and I'll, I'll give them a story, but I'll give pattern a story. Fortunately, that's the way my brain thinks, not story than pattern. Um, So one of the fundamental tensions is serving others versus serving self. Mm. Right. Um, And we end up on these poles to where if we end up trying to like dissolve the tension by just focusing on serving others, we become burnout, depleted and resentful and become that martyr that no one wants to be. I do all the things for all the people and no one, blah, blah, blah. We've all heard that story. We've probably all told that story. On the other end is that like, I'm not serving others. I'm just doing my own thing. And you lose that sense of connection, community and things like that. And at any given moment, you may be facing the tensions of serving others and serving self. Like, and I think there are certain types of projects you can do that, at least I, I don't want to say resolve the tension, but at least pull those two poles together. So, you know, in my in my, in my terminology, your best work projects are the types of works that um, benefit you and benefit others in both the process and the outcome. Mm. Um, so you're better off by doing it, but you're also better off by finishing it. <laughs> Um, and other people's are better off because you're doing it, but they're also better off because you're finishing it. Right. And so it's helpful to at least converge that tension. So it's not always, well, I'm got to do all this other stuff. And I've got this story. I got this head trash that if I focus on my thing, I'm being a selfish, whatever noun you want to put there. Um, versus if I just do their thing, I'm depleted, I'm frustrated, I'm mad, I've got creative constipation, and so on and so forth. So that would be one one sort of tension. And um, I think the way I've worked with clients, so I'm still going to tell the anonymous story on this one, is that I think when we start looking at their work that is that best work that benefits them and benefits other people at the same time in both process and outcome, it does help at least give – me slash them some leverage. that when they're waking up and it's eight o'clock in the morning and they're looking at the schedule and they're like, well, I can do this thing that works for other people or I can do this thing that works for me. It's like, or you can do this thing that does both. Mm-hmm. There is no tension there. You can focus on that. So when you're claiming a boundary, which many people can see as a very selfish thing, right? You can actually say, no, actually, I'm creating the space for this work that, is for me and for other people. And it pulls out that story and that sting of selfishness that can kind of come up. Um, I think another major tension relevant to the book is on the one hand, you're never going to complete your work. And on the other, it's important that you finish your work. Right. 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 Whatever your big vision is for your work, whatever the impact you're trying to make, whether it's just your own impact, your own creative spark, or whether it's a change in the world, you're never actually going to get to the bottom of your to-do list. One project is going to spawn off another project. It's going to be the Odyssean Hydra that you chop off one head and two more pop up. That's just the nature of things. and. Despite the fact that you'll never finish, it's important that you finish the projects that are in front of you, Mm -hmm. right? And so, um, and again, that's one of those tensions where it's like, well, I'm not going to worry about the big picture. I'm not going to do all that kind of whatnot. Then you end up on this side where your work can lose its meaning. It can lose its purpose. It can lose the context that otherwise keeps you in it, right? But if you focus so much on the fact that you're not finishing it and you're not ever making progress, that can demotivate you to finish anything, Right. And so um, another one of those major tensions there. Um, I think a tension that um, it's not quite the same type of tension, but I think a lot of people will end up with um, what I call the no win scenario of um, virtue versus success. Mm
1: hmm.
0: Um, slightly a different concept, but it's the same thing that works on this. Cause we have stories like nice guys finish last and business people are greedy. And, um, you know, if you're really being generous, then X, right. We have all sorts of things. And when it shows up, especially in our business life, if we want to be good people, how does that work out to being a good business person? Because we have both stories that we've absorbed through social bullshit that like business people can't be good people or they're greedy people or they're exploitative or capitalism is bad or whatever story we have anchored onto. And also I want to be successful in business. I've started the thing. I've got to put food on the table, so on and so forth and those collide and create a lot of tensions to where we end up creating. um, We end up resolving that tension by shooting for mediocrity because we don't want, Mm. we don't want to be a bad person. So in in this particular example, we don't want to be a bad person. So we can't win at business in a certain way, at a certain level, because if we get above that certain level, then we're cheating on somebody or we're stealing from them, we're exploiting them, we're stepping on somebody's neck, whatever the story you might have. But we also don't want to fail. So we do just enough to sort of thread this needle between a success that we think is compatible with our virtue. Um, we've had with the type of person we want to be. But again, the thing about stories and head trash and stuff like that is it, it doesn't matter whether or not it's true because your belief in it will determine how you operate. It could be 100% false that all business people are greedy. However, if you believe that, then it's going to set up situations such that you operate as if it's true and you make decisions and you prioritize, you make plans, you'll limit yourself, so on and so forth. Um, and I'll see this in a very specific example. A lot of people, when it comes to sales conversations, mm-hmm. end, end up in the scenarios where are like, oh, like, you know, I don't want to oversell. I don't want to be that used car salesman. I don't want people to buy something, you know, that they, um, that they don't want or need. And most of the time for my clients, I'm like, first off, you're not good enough at sales to really sell something at this level that people don't want or need. Like, right. <laughs> you're really not. It's hard to sell something to people when they really don't want it or need it. And so if you're already worried about like, if you're already like building your sales competency and you're worried about that, it's like, you can't slam dunk anyway. So we're, we're not even there. And I'd say that in a way that's not as dismissive, sure. right. As, as it sounds now, but it's like, first let's get real about it. Like it's really, really hard to sell something that people don't want or need anyway. Um, second off, what if what you're selling is exactly yeah. what they need to become their best self or to have their best business outcome or whatever. And you don't give them what they need because you're more worried about selling them something that they don't need. Right. And so just all the sort of things that we get into about what sales people are like and, you know, about the manipulation that can sometimes happen in marketing and sales and all that sort of stuff comes up and yeah. it doesn't help us at all. Um, so, I know I went far afield from the original question about tensions, um, but it's these these stories, these sort of things, the head trash that we develop ends up being two or three levels deeper um, than most of us realize. Because when we pull it out, any of these beliefs, when we pull them out and we look at them in the light of day, mm-hmm. they always sound absurd. Like, no, we don't. I don't believe that. Like, I don't believe all salespeople are bad. I don't believe nice guys finish last. Except... When you look at the way people actually operate, that's that's the tie-in that's doing there. And when we look at it, if we're never really getting to these root causes, we're just putting Band-Aids or I'll sell nuts, we're just putting lipstick on a frog, right? The frog is still there. We could put lipstick all over it, but it's still not something you're going to want to kiss, right? So the more that we can really look at these deeper levels of why we're not finishing our work, what keeps us stuck, the more we can actually solve the problems rather than being like, I don't know, maybe there's a new app on the app store that will help me with this problem. The other 17 didn't, but maybe this one will. It's not about the app, right? Uh, We've been doing great work and best work. We've been doing work without apps, without technology for a long time. So maybe it's not the next app. Maybe there's some core challenge that you've yet to unsurface um, and actually solve.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about like the action side, the operational side of that, Um, because what you were just talking about reminded me of uh, two questions that you pose in the book that have really stuck with me since I saw them, which was you, you asked readers to think about um, what's the smartest next step, and what's the most courageous next step? And I'm paraphrasing; I don't think that's exactly how you phrased it, but this tension between what we think is the next smart step for us to take, and what actually is a courageous problem solving, stepping out of our comfort zone, stepping out of our zone of mastery, and being—I like, don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to give this a shot—kind of next step. Um, what can you can you talk about the the role of courage I guess in finishing what we start and and the kinds of things that get in our way when we're trying to finish something
0: yeah I'll back into it this way if it were a matter of intelligence and information then a lot of us would be doing more than we're doing
1: mm-hmm.
0: right um, it's Googleable, it's find outable right um, we live in a deluge of information so if it was just about information and intelligence I think we would see a different, quality of work put out in the world it's not um because um i'll 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 say it this way the the way the questions that you're referencing are ones that i use in workshop and i use with clients sometimes because they instantly know what their smartest next step is Mm -hmm. like i should do x but they also instantly know what their most courageous next step is Mm -hmm. um and their natural tendency is to go towards the smart step Mm -hmm. Um, because the way, I don't know why we do it, not going to go there, but what we do is when we look at certainty and when we look at smart steps, we actually overlay that with what's going what am I certain is going to give me an outcome? Like, how do I raise my level of certainty with my next step? But when you do your best work, you have to exchange clarity for certainty. Meaning when you do work that changes your world, that changes your clients' or your customers' world, that changes your community's world, you don't know what the outcome of that is going to be. You can't be certain mm-hmm. of that. But you can be clear on purpose. You can be clear on mission. You can be clear on need. You can be clear on your triangulation of all of those things. So you get clarity, but you don't get certainty. And a lot of times, because I do so much work with people on strategy execution and planning and goal setting, They're like, well, I'm really trying to get clear on what I'm doing. I'm like, I don't think that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get certain that this, you're trying to predict certainty or you're trying to hang on to certainty that what we do next is going to work. I can tell you with certainty that what we need to do may or may not work. (laughs) (laughs) And it's still 100% the next step we should take. Right. And so the, the first question is, what's the smart next step? And then what's the most courageous next step? The reality is your most courageous next step is almost always the smartest next step, but we have to get to that place and let go of that certainty, that fear of failure, that fear of ostracism. And while I'm talking about courage, um, I think a lot of people think like capital C courage. We, we conjure images of firefighters and, you know, really heroic deeds, people jumping in front of bullets and all those are really great examples of courage but they're not, they're not comprehensive. There's these little C moments of courage that happen every day through email conversations, through conversations with your clients, with your partners, with your teammates that taken cumulatively um, create a courageous life. Yeah. Right. And so I think a lot of people will ask me like, how do we develop more courage? And I'll say, look at those micro moments in your day and choose the option that requires a little bit more vulnerability. Choose the options that may not work out. Um, Choose the option that increase uncertainty rather than decrease uncertainty. Um, Choose the options where, um, you know, the comfort would dictate one, one way of going. Um, Growth would dictate another. Choose the option for growth. Um, and I think if you choose those in those email exchanges, um, if you choose them in the conversations with clients and customers, if you choose them in conversation with teammates or partners, um, it can make a world of difference. How I actually do that is because I'm such, um, because I gamify about everything that I can at this point. Um, you know, I'll give myself points explicitly or implicit, like, did I do something that challenged me today. Did I send that email that I've been avoiding? Right. Cause you know what you're avoiding, you know, the procrastination that comes up. A lot of people sort of, um, annoying. Well, it's annoying when I ask them personally, but they kind of know the stuff they're not getting to. (laughs) Right. Um, and while on the one hand we can say it's procrastination and they don't know what they should do. I think at a certain point there's a, there's a significant portion of that work. That's, I am scared to send this email. I am scared of the response I'm going to get. I'm scared to have that conversation. I'm scared to get a no. Um, I'm scared to show who I really am in that engagement. Um, I'm scared to achieve at my highest level because then what if I can't do it again? And then I've set up a precedent myself. So there's a lot of fear that lurks under those. Once you just peel back a layer or two. So for me personally, I know what those things are, and I'm like, I'm not going to be any more like, I'm not going to want to do this tomorrow any more than I'm going to want to do it today. It's not like I'm magically going to wake up and I'm like I'm really comfortable with sending this email to Tara today. I wasn't yesterday, but I'm ready today. Yeah. No, you get ready, right? Um, And I'll pause here because a few years ago, I was having a great conversation with a, with a friend, and she we were talking about my military combat experience. And she's like, Charlie, I I don't understand. Like, I think in that situation, I would just curl up in a ball and cry, right? Just be so full of tears. And I was like, you know, the thing is you fire through the tears, you work through the tears. The tears don't go away. (laughs) You just learn how to work through and with them, right? And so in the same sort of sense with this conversation around courage, I get so frustrated when people are like, get over your fears and like, you know, move past your fears. Mm -hmm. No, work with them right um learn how to operate in the arena of fear in the arena of uncertainty in the arena of volunt- of um, vulnerability in the arena where failure is possible and you're going to be far better off than trying to build your way out of the 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 um chance that you might be afraid the chance that you might fail, the chance that you might be ostracized from your tribe, the chance, you know, I, I think we avoid running into the the courageous fire. And I'm not talking about, you know, um, real fire, but we avoid running into it when actually it's a sign of exactly what we, t- we should be running towards.
1: Yeah. So you... Earlier, when we were talking about mastery, you mentioned that one of the thing one of the ways that you had to kind of step out of your zone of mastery was by sending all these emails and you know spending all this time on email uh, to support this book launch. Um, I would love to kind of circle back and get the same kind of example here. What is something that you are working through right now, working on right now, where you are working through real fear and having to take courageous action, whether that's big C courageous action or little C courageous action?
0: Yeah, so um trying to think of the short way to tell the story. Okay. <laughs> um we have recently made some hires that are riskier than I would advise a client to do, mm. right? Um because we are in a point to where we need additional capacity because I'm in many ways effectively out of operations management in my own business. Um but we're hiring pre-revenue, meaning mm-hmm. like if you, if you know what that means, like you can build up until your revenue is to a point where you can actually afford the person, which is a smart way of doing it in a way, right. Or you can hire pre-revenue, meaning that you hire before the money, the revenue stream and the business model is that are supported, which means there's a good chance that it, you know, it might fail in the sense of this might not be a long-term job. Uh, you know, we've set it up so that the people who are hiring, you understand it's a temporary and blah, blah, blah. But I also know myself well enough to know that once I work with someone and sort of fall in love with them and what they can do. It's incredibly hard for me to let them go, whether I call them a 1099 or a 2 it doesn't matter. They're people that that I spend my days with doing work that matters. I hate when it doesn't work out. You know, there's a much higher chance of it not working out right now. Um, And how are we setting that? Like we could have made the option, could have set the move where it's like, you know what? we're just going to do what we can do at our certain level of capacity. We're going to let some things slip, so on and so forth, which would have been avoiding the opportunity, avoiding the real chance that six months from now, I'm going to like, you know, time's up. It really yeah. sucks that it didn't work out, but we had to shot, we had to go anyways. And so um, for me, um, and I can't speak for everyone, but choices that will potentially impact someone's livelihood someone's career someone's family are always Mm -hmm. the ones that are hardest for me. Um, because again, when you're a small business owner, yes, you, you, you pay folks and things like that. But if you think two levels removed that money that you're paying goes to put food on someone's table, right? They're counting on that one way or the other. Right. Um, and if you're unable to see that through, then there's someone who then has to scramble, to find out how to do that. And it's a very serious thing to me as like I take hiring very seriously. Um, even when we do build contingencies and things like that, I, I um, am, I won't say terrified because I know there's, I, I think i will pause here and I'll come back to this. I think once we accept that there's no van down by the river. Right. That that's just a myth and a story that we used to beat ourselves up. And if you're not familiar with this whole Chris Farley, who's a motivational speaker and he's like, you know, he's getting paid to pump people up and he's like, you don't want to be like me and live in a van down by the river. And so many of our converse, so many, so much of our head trash around failure um, that I've observed from clients and I've got it too, is it like we make this one mistake and then that leads inexorably to the van down by the river. Right. It's like bad mistake, van. Right, we don't see that it's like this series of choices and recoveries and stumbles and rolls and things like that that can happen to keep the van down by the river happen. At the same time, we're asymmetric about this because I think when we look at the opposite of the van down by the river, those epic wins, those Oprah moments, those whatever those things is, we see that as a long series of steps that we're going to have to take to get there. So why is it that when it comes to epic level success? We understand that it's a long series of steps, but when it comes to epic failure, it seems like it's we're one or two away from being in the van down by the river. Um, that may or may not resonate with you, Tara, but it, like it comes up so often with clients, and I'm like, why? Why is it not equal? Why? Yeah. Why do we not have assumption parity here? <laughs> you know.
1: Totally. Yeah, no, I totally, um, I don't think so much about the van by the river, although I really appreciate the reference. Um, I just, ever since we bought a house, my first thought goes to, oh, this didn't work out, we're going to lose the house. (laughs) And I think about it on a regular basis and it's ridiculous. I have to remind myself on a regular basis that even when things get rough, it would be nearly impossible for all of our money, all of our revenue to Dry up immediately. I don't have the kind of job that just goes away, right? Like I can't be fired. So, why do we, yeah, why do we, why does that happen? I don't know, but um, yes, I love it. Um, This has been an absolutely, like I've had so many light bulb moments in this conversation, and I know that our listeners will have too. And unfortunately, I'm looking at wrapping up already, but I have a time flies. I know. <laughs> But I have a big question yet uh, to ask you. I think it's going to be a big question. Maybe it won't be. Who knows? Uh, We're about to find out. And so I want to leave some time for that. So uh, to kind of go back to what we talked about earlier, which was one of the patterns you, um, one of the kind of tensions that you identified between recognizing that um, the work that we have to do will never be done. Mm-hmm. and that also it's important to finish what we start. Um, so that tension makes me think that you know maybe finishing looks a little bit different than we assume it looks like. Um, but then also recognizing that, especially as business owners, often the end of a project doesn't look exactly like what we think it's going to look like when we start it. Um, and I think that a lot of times we miss out on a big victory because we just can't recognize it because it didn't end up looking the way we planned for it to look. So how do you know when something is finished?
0: Yeah. So that's the tension. If it's really your best work projects in your business, like, um, it says ar- sometimes finishing is as arbitrary as a change of a chapter in a book. Mm. Right. Um, Yes, the chapter is over, but it leads inexorably to the next chapter. It's incomplete in that very way. And that's the tension because we're all writing this book as we go along. Um, And at the same time, at an intuitive level, there are times where, like, the project is over. So I'll give my own. Like, the book launches 924, right? That's a phase of this project that, come win, lose, or draw, like that phase of the project is done i'll roll into the next one right mm-hmm. and i'm um i it has been shown to me thus far that what success and what is actually happening is far different than what i thought in in the most amazing of ways right um and so i think one way of recognizing or hmm, I'm, what I'm trying to answer is there's there's a stop point for every project and there's also a reckoning moment for that project. Wow. Did it work? Did it not work? What happened because of this work that I do? And I think a lot of times we, um, because we may not get, we may not get what we want in the reckoning, we think that maybe the project's not over. Ah. Uh, right? Um, yes. And so if you're thinking from that reckoning side of things, one of the great things when you're looking at and you're doing your assessment of how it happened um, a powerful question to learn to ask clients is what else happened that was surprising beneficial or leveraging that we need to account for at the same time Um, because it's like well I want this number of sales I didn't get that number of sales failure really really is that is that is that really what it is did you determine through that conversation that you didn't have product market fit with what you were doing Mm mm-hmm right and that you learned how to do the do it the next time smarter that's really important did you hear feedback and objections throughout that process that made it super clear what you need to do better next time so what else happened right besides what you were starting with and it's a really powerful way to when you're in those reckoning moments to look back and really be comprehensive about it the other thing is um the bigger the project and a book launch is a big project um but starting a you know having a new major product launch in your business is a big project starting a new service line is a major project starting a new hire hiring price or scaling is a major project um at any given point in time you're only going to see a portion of the results that are bearing fruit mm-hmm. because there's a time lag that happens and so i've learned this <laughs> i've had some interesting conversations with my marketing director for my publishers like i've realized at this point That if you ask me how things are going in the moment, I'm always going to be like, ah, it's not going as well as it could have. But two weeks later, I'll realize in that moment that things were way better than they actually were. I just didn't have the data that I needed at the time to be able to see it. So that therefore means that in any given moment, I need to sort of upgrade how well things are going until I have data that tells me that they were going worse than I thought. Um, But if all of the other occurrences have been, oh, wow, all of that happened. I just didn't know it was happening at the time because there's this, you know, redshift effect. that happens with data and measurement sometimes. Um, then going forward, mm-hmm. I just need to adjust for that. Right. So when people ask me that now, how's the book going? It's been great every other time that people have asked. So I have to say great until I know that it's not great. Um, went on a, on a lengthy ramble there. Um, but I think when it comes to projects, the when we do our planning, and this goes to the planning side of things, um, the weaker, the less structured, the less focused your plan is, the more likely it's going to seem that it's just an idea mm-hmm. that just keeps rolling and keeps going and you're never going to be done with it. But when you get practiced at chunking your projects down and saying like this month size project, I'm going to get done or I'm going to do a weekly sprint or whatever language you want to use around that then you get to the point where you're like, I've got this amount of time. That amount of time was spent. I did the things relevant to that project. I can move on to the next piece. Um, that It does multiple things. One, it helps you know when you finished. Um, two, it helps you maintain um, a cadence of progress and success and momentum um, because you don't have that slew of projects that are like 80% mm-hmm. done. But not really done, Um, and a lot of times for many projects, the last twenty percent of the project is where you get the most value of it out of it. And but it's far after you're bored with it. It's far after right you've um, hit whatever button that you put to put it out there in the world. Like finishing happens usually far after that, and so that's why I talk so much about the importance of like thinking about what happens. Um, to finish strong in a project and not just doing that um, analogical thing where you just kind of slide into home base and barely get done. You're like, I'm done. And then Monday you wake up and you start the next project that you've been behind on. Um, how do you celebrate after you finish that? How do you take a moment and reflect on how that's built a better future for yourself, your community, um, your customers, your family? Um, how do you place in transition time between projects so that you don't do the thing that we more often do is burn 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 out right as opposed to burn because that's the season of a project that's a season of your business Mm -hmm. recover burn recover right and play the long game Uh, most of our success when it comes to doing work that matters is the long game managing quarter to quarter year to year not week to week not month to month right obviously months Months spent focusing on stuff that matters, lead into quarters, lead into years. But I think what I've seen from clients that have presented to me, what I've seen from peers and colleagues is that there seems to be that incoherence between Mm -hmm. what I'm working on this month and what I'm working on next month versus what I'm working on next month. And when you really start mastering momentum over quarters and years is where you see the cumulative effect of success, the cumulative um, effect of impact um, the cumulative effect of building yeah. foundations, much like you mentioned, like you don't have just one revenue stream that someone can just snatch, boom, you're done. Right. There's a foundation that's been built over quarters and years to get there. Um and it requires when you when you really master it at that level, it requires sticking with projects again, far after when they're fun, far after when they're interesting. Far after when you figured out the puzzle. Yes, I see you out there, you smarties. It just it's about the puzzles, not about the building the puzzle. Like I know how the pieces fit together. Yep. I'm good. That's me. Not so much. <laughs> not so much. You're like 60% there at best. Right. Um, so that's where sort of this best work will come in is when you actually put that puzzle together, put it on the wall, show some people and then start the next puzzle rather than being like, I figured it out, I know how this works.
1: Charlie, thank you so freaking much. Um, I am so sad that we have to wait to give this interview to people who need it desperately right now, but we are going to wait. Um, And so I'll make sure that gets edited out of the final interview. But thank you so much. Like I said, I've had so many light bulb moments. I know our listeners are going to as well. I've taken copious amounts of notes. Thank you for everything that you've shared. Thank you for writing the book. Uh, Best of luck to you on the launch. I know it's going to be incredible Um, and we will make sure everyone knows where to find it.
0: Thanks so much. It's always a pleasure. And so until next time.
1: Yeah, exactly. Find out more about Charlie Gickey at productiveflourishing.com and grab your copy of Start Finishing wherever books are sold. What Works is produced by Yellowhouse Media. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 240 more candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today at explorewhatworks.com.